may be seated. Good morning. Um, if you will, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're, um, we're in Mark's Gospel. We're in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. That's um, 996 in the ESV Pew Bible. Mark chapter 2, verse 18, page 996. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just have a moment of prayer. Father, we, we ask that you would take these words and settle them into our hearts. Father, as we consider new and old what you have made of us, we think of the words we've just sung that we are a new creation. Father, help that permeate our minds, our thoughts this day, this week, as we meditate on you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are, there are certain behaviors and, and attitudes that, that are appropriate for certain settings. If you were to walk into one of the, the grand old cathedrals in Europe, Uh, you would probably be quiet, you'd be reserved. Uh, They're beautiful. There's a a reverence there. There's there's something about the the majesty and the the height and the the ascendancy of of the structures that are in there. They they are reflective of the the vastness and the, the largeness of God. If you went to a funeral, you would be very quiet, you would be respectful. Now, on the other hand, if you, if you went to a children's birthday party, you would probably anticipate that you're going to have to raise your voice volume. Uh, you would perhaps be stressed, but otherwise joyful, hopefully joyful. If you went to a, a sporting event, this would Depend, but if you went to some sporting events, you'd be quiet. If you went to a tennis tournament or a golf tournament, you would be expected to be quiet. But if you went to a, a football game or a basketball game, then you would anticipate being louder, uh, being more excited. It would be strange to be very loud and, and obnoxious in one of those 
beautiful old cathedrals in Europe. It would be very strange to be irreverent and loud at a funeral. It would be strange to be loud and distracting at a golf tournament. It would also be strange to be reverent and quiet and reserved at a child's birthday party or at an exciting sporting event. Those things would be incompatible. Now, I understand if your sports team is terrible, then perhaps you will be solemn and quiet, (laughs) as I have been with my university sports team. Uh, But let's stick with the illustration for now. In fact, when people act out of character, right, it it tends to draw attention. Um, I've been in some of those old cathedrals, and someone's walked in, and they they kind of stir up a Something's going on, who knows what's going on, and and everyone sort of is drawn over to that because it is out of character. It is not normal. It is not what the expectation is. Now, you may be asking yourselves, where in the world is he going with all this? What does this have to do with fasting? Well, the connection is what Jesus calls for from his disciples. Jesus calls for total reform of his followers because he is incompatible with lesser things. He is incompatible with lesser things. And he's going to give us three uh, pictures to help us see how that happens. Mark chapter 2, Jesus has just had dinner. If you remember from last week, he's just had dinner with uh, tax collectors and the scribes of the Pharisees have been asking, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And he's showing us that, that, that his ministry is very upside down, or rather his is right side up, but everybody else has this upside down view of, of what he's doing, or they themselves are actually upside down. And now in verse 18, a, a group have come up to Jesus and asked why his disciples are acting out of character. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came to him and said, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? It's an intriguing question, and really at the heart of it, they are asking, Why do the Pharisees and John's disciples take things seriously, and yours don't, and you don't? What is fasting? Fasting is, by definition, abstaining from food deliberately for a sustained period of time. Jesus fasted in the wilderness, in the desert, for for 40 days when Satan came and attacked him and questioned him. There's there's fasting throughout Scripture. In Ezra, he calls for a, a time of fasting before they travel back to Jerusalem from Babylon. It was to to humble them and, 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 and to seek the help and to seek the presence of God for them in, in their journey. In the book of Judges, the people fast and humble themselves after the Benjaminites have uh, abused and killed the, the servant of the Levite. Fasting, and, and they're, they're, they're seeking the Lord. They're, 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 they're wanting to focus on the will of God. They're seeking his wisdom. So the Pharisees do this. Though they were often doing it more for the look of righteousness. 
more than anything, as Jesus points out, that they do it intentionally so that people will think more highly of them. In fact, he says, you know, don't, don't come out of your house after fasting with your hair all disheveled and, and looking rough. And then your friends say, well, what have you been doing? And you say, oh, I've been fasting. I mean, the, the epitome of self-righteousness, right? And so Jesus actually says, go and wash yourself and put oil on your beard and look refreshed so that people... Not that they assume you haven't been fasting, but there's no need for them to ask you because this is between you and God. It's not for others to know. Now, why did John's disciples do this? Because they're obviously not attempting to do the same thing as the Pharisees. Well, perhaps the, 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 the disciples of John the baptizer are doing this because John is in prison and they're seeking God's help. Perhaps it's because uh, John's been teaching about the repentant life. And fasting helps with that. It, it helps focus on a, on a heart of repentance, a spirit of repentance. Now, I think between these two groups, the Pharisees and uh, John's disciples, they're both fasting in the sense of a, an anticipatory nature. They're, they're anticipating it's a form of worship for them. The Pharisees are, are looking for the, the coming of the Messiah, and they're looking for the overthrow of the Roman occupation. John's disciples are looking for the Messiah, and they're looking for the restoration of Israel. As incompatible as those two groups are, John even calling them a brood of vipers, they do have some in common. And yet it is Jesus' disciples that have no conformity to this practice of fasting. And it seems the question is, why aren't you as serious as the Pharisees or as John's disciples? And what will Jesus' answer be? Well, Jesus does what he often does, and he becomes this master illustrator He's going to give these people three images to help them see not only the answer to the question that they're asking, but to show them a much deeper meaning and purpose. Remember, Jesus is calling for total reform of his followers because he is incompatible with any lesser thing. Our first image that he gives is of a wedding. You think this would be a strange image uh, to go to when asked about fasting. So why does he use it? Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Weddings in those days would have gone on for seven days. I went to a wedding in Egypt and it was the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, cell phones were ringing and people were actually answering them and having conversations while the bride was processing down the aisle. Uh, it was like being at a carnival. Um, it was very strange. But there was such a celebratory nature. Even that wasn't rude or it was just sort of probably got on the phone and said, I'm, I'm at the wedding uh, you know, we're here. Where are you? You know, come on. I don't know. They were speaking Arabic, and I don't speak that. So that's my assumption and not some other strange conversation they were having. 
But, but here's the thing. It, it, these, these celebrations would go on for seven days. There's, there's food and there's wine and there's singing and there's celebrating. There's dancing. And all the guests have to do is enjoy the festivities. That, that's, the, that's the requirement. That's the only requirement. But why shift to wedding imagery when the conversation and the question is about fasting? Well, Jesus is not really making a, a, a comment here, a commentary on, on fasting. He's not against fasting. He's obviously going to refer back to it uh, in a little bit. But what he's saying here is that there, there is a difference between the Pharisees and, and John's disciples and that from Jesus' disciples as it relates to the view of Jesus' ministry. He describes his ministry as a, as a wedding and his, his disciples are like guests of the bridegroom at the wedding. A, a wedding was not a time for abstaining from things. A, a wedding is not a time for fasting because there's great food and there's great wine and there's great people and great company. It, it, it's a time to live it up. Why? Because they have the bridegroom with them. There's something quite unique here about his language that he uses. The use of, of wedding imagery and bridegroom, it's not used of uh, being descriptive of the Messiah in the Old Testament. It's not descriptive of the Messiah. So this is an allusion. This is, this is not an allusion to the messianic role of Christ, as you would assume he would be giving. This language of, of bridegroom and, and wedding it is only used of God himself. Isaiah 54, verse 5, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. In Ezekiel chapter 16, God describes his care of Israel and the, the covenant like a marriage covenant. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. This language is indicating to the hearers that Jesus is more than just Messiah. He's more than just another Moses. He's more than just another Elijah. You remember when they asked when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And, and they respond with who people think he is. And it's, it's Moses and it's Elijah. And it's this sort of semi-messianic role that's come in. But this is more than a messianic role that he's just used in this verbiage of bridegroom and wedding feast that he's described to them. He, he is saying, I am God in flesh. And tell me, tell me this. Why is it that people fast? For what reasons are people fasting? The fasting is because people desire to draw near to God. Fasting is there because they want to humble themselves and to be in the presence of God. They, they, they want to seek his help. They want to seek his wisdom. They want to seek his knowledge. They, they, they desire that close communion with him. Well, Jesus' disciples had that. He was there. So why would they fast? Why would you want the lesser thing when the greater stands right before you? 
One time I was renting a car overseas and there was a mix-up with our reservation. We had ordered um, a mid-size generic car. And when we got to the counter, the, the lady said, um, well, you have two options. You can, you can choose a smaller car, um, which was a Fiat 500. Or, because of the confusion, we will allow you to rent a, a Porsche Panamera at at the same cost. And do you know what the decision was? <laughs> we chose the Fiat. Because I don't know why. <laughs> I'm using we because I don't want blame, but... but <laughs> We essentially had chosen to fast at the wedding, or in reality, to not go fast. <laughs> but you see that illustration? It's, it's obvious what the better choice is, right? It's, it's so clear. You know what the better choice is. You know what the lesser option is. The disciples have no need of fasting because they have the object of fasting with them in their midst, in their presence, in their life. They have no reason to fast because they have the reason for fasting with them. He then explains this really interesting facet of the image of the wedding and of fasting. Verse 20 the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. The mention of his being taken from them, it's this um, harsh, it's an abrupt image with the, the happy image of the wedding, right? Oh, the wedding, you're celebrating, you're part of the festivities, yeah, yeah, this is great. And then it's like, but he'll be taken. It's this tearing away. In a normal wedding, it's the guests who eventually disperse. And I know in our modern weddings, the bride and groom run away and then they do the honeymoon. But think in their imagery, it was that the guests eventually leave and then the husband and the wife begin their life together. But Jesus interjects this, this sort of outside and foreign thought of, of the groom being forcibly removed from the wedding celebration. Mark's linking of the, if you remember from chapter 1, his, his linking of the, the inauguration of Jesus' ministry with the arrest of John the baptizer in chapter 1, he's already projecting the, the storm clouds that are coming. You know, if this was your first time reading a gospel or, or knowing anything about the story of Christ, you would have seen that this is not a, this is not a good thing. Some, something bad, something nefarious is going to take place here. He's already project, projected these, these storm clouds over Jesus' ministry. These, these clouds get, get stormier and, and more cloudy when you see the anger of the, of the scribes when Jesus forgives the sins of the man whose friends have just lowered him down. So the reference of, of Jesus being removed from them shows that he, he knows ultimately what is coming in his ministry. The kingdom of God makes a personal appearance 
in Jesus. But the final victory is far from realized. In order to overcome sin and death, the bridegroom must become their victim. In order to overcome sin and death, the bridegroom must become their victim. And his followers will experience in some way the fate of Jesus their Lord. Especially the experience of the hiddenness and the silence of God at times. The reference to the bridegroom being taken from the disciples and their subsequent fasting, it, it, it makes us think of the original audience, the original readers and hearers of Mark's gospel, that congregation who was huddled together in Rome, who would have to persevere and be faithful to the end amidst the, the, the horror, the violent persecution of Nero. There will be days when Jesus appears to be far from them, when they are thrown to wild animals, when they are set ablaze to light the gardens on Nero's palace. Conflicts on the outside, fears within is how Paul describes the long haul and the lonely watches of Christian discipleship in 2 Corinthians. Sustaining the life of faith and growing into Christ-likeness is precisely why fasting continues through the early church and even till today. The, the, the discipline of, of of physical privation and in, in fasting, it's an aid to watchfulness. It's an aid to repentance. It's an aid to strength and, and sensitivity in the Christian life. Fasting can be used for great good and, and, and great help while we are in between the comings of Christ, the first coming and his final return. It helps us to focus and remember what we have been called to. It reminds us of our need of relying on God as we await that final coming and, 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 and anticipate that, that great day. Then Jesus shifts his imagery. And he uses two vivid word pictures to make his point. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Both of these images here are of things that are serviceable. They, they function. They are broken, but they function. The old wineskins sort of function. The, the, the old garment sort of functions, but it's got a hole in it, and the wineskins are old, and they're becoming, becoming brittle. But you see, when the new is added, 
It destroys the old. The unshrunk patch, when added to the old garment, tears a worse hole. The new wine, as it expands in the, the fermentation process, it, it will be ruined as it, as it bursts the container that seeks to hold it. The new patch and the new wine are incompatible with the old cloth and the old wineskin. And if the attempt is made to combine those things, the new substance will be will destroy the old substance. Both parables are about the relation of Jesus, of the church, of Christianity, to traditional Judaism. These parables illustrate the radical posture and assertion of Jesus. Jesus is the new patch. Jesus is the new wine. He's not an attachment. He's not an addition. He's not an amendment or an appendage to the status quo. He cannot be integrated into or contained by pre-existing structures, even Judaism or Torah or synagogue. And just as he cannot be integrated into or contained by those Old Testament structures... So he cannot be integrated into or contained by any other worldview or religious system. He cannot be integrated or, or, or contained by uh, materialism or materialistic me-centered structure. An alternate religion, an alternate lifestyle, an alternate view of faith and life or belief. The entire vessel, the the garment or the wineskin must be a new creation. You, You cannot take Christ along with you down your path that you were on before Christ. You cannot take Christ along with you down a path that is incompatible with him. The vessel must be made new. Paul says in 2 Corinthians for. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes again, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Set your minds on Things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Or we can come back to our favorite illustration here at 9 o'clock, which is John chapter 3. (laughs) But think about that interaction with Nicodemus and what does he say? Unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. There's a newness that must take place in the believer. Paul has emphasized it. Jesus has set the tone for it. Remember, Jesus has called for total reform of his followers because he is incompatible with lesser things. The believer requires being made new which Christ gives us that newness. We cannot straddle the fence between the new and the old. It is in him that we find our total identity. It is in him that we find that our desires have changed. It is in him that we find that our very goals in life have changed and been transformed because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the one who has been made a new vessel in him. What in your life are you finding is incompatible with Christ? Do you find it of greater or lesser worth? It can only be lesser when you compare anything to the author of life, the savior of our souls, the bridegroom who loves his people. Choose the Porsche, (laughs) not the Fiat. Sadly, uh, we got into a car accident with that Fiat, so to make the illustration more applicable to you, let's pray. Father, even in our little group time of praying, we were sharing about the busyness of life. And I know that's affecting each and every person in here. We know that there are all kinds of strains and stresses that are placed upon us. And yet I think, Father, at times I I react and I go back to my old flesh nature and the way that I respond to these things. And yet you, Lord God, have given us this newness of life. So we think of the words of Paul of putting those things behind us, remembering what Christ has done, what he has afforded us in his death and resurrection. And it is only because and through that 
that we can walk out, even if we feel as though you are absent, even though we feel like at times we're not sure if you're paying attention to us, we need to be reminded of this truth. For even these apostles, these disciples, had times of fasting where they were fearful and worried. They were calling on your presence. But we look forward to the day where fasting is no longer necessary and where we will be seated at the table of the wedding feast of the Lamb. But until that day comes, Lord, help us to keep focused on you. Help us to be good disciples that we think about the things that you've prepared, the works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Not by our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. So, Father, we commit these next moments for you to you. We, we ask that this day, this week, that we would remember these things. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.